Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 18th of September 2023. Okay, um, I had a little holiday and uh, totally refreshed, full of beans. We've got a very grown-up conversation about regen farming with the boys after my market report today. And uh, yeah, let's let's get cracking with uh, opinions on on markets. So wheat, you sort of sit there, not in the office, and the phone isn't ringing, and you think about what the price should be doing. If you gauge it by the UK alone, it should be going down. You've got no farmer participation whatsoever in in the market, and they're declaring that it's not enough money based upon it's not enough money, which isn't a base at all. And you're kind of sitting there waiting for Vladimir Putin to do something really bad to make the market go up. There's a few crops beginning to shrink in size. The Canadian crop's a bit smaller. El Nino's beginning to look a bit dry in Australia, so prospects are further ahead are looking a bit grim. But in saying that, you know, the Brazilian corn crop's coming forward. You've got Ukrainian wheat that isn't allowed to be sold in immediate countries around its border because it's undermined the markets. But you can transship the stuff across European soil to the Baltic, get customs cleared, and then that's free for someone in Ireland or in Holland who buy a lot of feed wheat to, to purchase it. So we've got, a, you know, whereas the Black Sea used to be the way that Ukrainian wheat left and went to Asia and, and Africa, lots of it is now piling into Europe because the route is different, which in itself undermines the European market. So it's kind of extra supply coming in. And that isn't particularly bullish for our market. I'm not happy with the wheat market at the moment. I don't feel comfortable with it at all. In saying that, it is a very, you know, it's got no participants. And and this week, the market's just dragging itself up a little bit. So if you were in one of our stalls, you could just about make £200 a tonne, depending on whether the futures creep up a little higher or not. So it's kind of, I don't know, I'm nervous about it because there's no reason for it being as high as it is. We're sort of 7, 8 to £10 uncompetitive on exports and we do need to export. Some people are now beginning to say the crop was smaller, but I think there was quite a big carryover as well. And there is still a surplus and the surplus is predominantly in the southeast of England or the south of England. So certain parts of the country, yep, there may well be lots of demand to the ethanol plants up north. But down here, there is lots of it. So it's a, it's a story where I want you to have a little bit of a thought about it. And there is a very good carry in the market, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so X farm value for feed wheat, if you wanted to move it in September, is 170. I've got, there's nowhere particularly for it to go. We'd shove it in store because we've got no more consumer homes. October 174X, November 176X. Pre-Christmas, December, 177x. If you carried through to next May, we'd pay 190 for it. So that's a £14 carry between November X Farm and May next Farm. Which just leads me on to a little bit of 
Lots of you will know how to do this, but, you know, if you went to the, the 1970s school of grain trading that I went to, when you look at the value of, of grain, you have to weigh up the cost of keeping it, which is, you know, interest from the bank being charged or gained, depending on your bank balance, and also then the cost of what it actually is to store grain, blowing it, keeping an eye on it, etc. If you had money in the bank and you are not in overdraft, you'll probably get about a 3.5% return for any cash that's in the bank if, you, if your bank is, is one of the fairer ones. £176 a tonne times 3.5% interest for a year, divided by two, which is six months. So you, it's £3.08 worth of interest you'd receive. So it's a net of 179.08 as a direct comparison with 190x. You, you then weigh up probably the cost of blowing the grain. Now, if you do it properly or you do it really badly, it just depends on you. Let's face it, your shed depreciation is there anyway, whether you use a shed or whether you don't. And your labour is probably there, you for free, or your, your work colleagues, they're there either ditching or doing something on a wet day. Well, they could be in there checking the grain, I guess, but that, that labour isn't an extra cost in there. But the actual blowing of the product, let's say it costs you 50 pence a month, which is only going to be £3 a tonne. So the, the net return for the wheat, if you cost all those things in and don't put any labour in there, and don't put any depreciation in there, you know, you're, you're about 182 versus 190 X farm for May. So that wins hands down. If you are in overdraft situation, let's say you're paying 7%, which is one and three quarters of where we think base is, that brings the interest up to £6 instead of £3. Same cost for, for storing it. So you only end up with 185 and if you sold it X farm for May, 190 that's the better deal. The only thing you've got to take into that other costing is bugs. If you do get a problem, then the cost of actually treating the product to get rid of the bugs. So at the moment, the best thing for a farmer to do if he owns a shed and the grain is in condition in the shed and it's a low risk in terms of bugs, then sell the carry. In other words, have an overdraft through till next May because it's worth it because you'll get more money for selling it 190x than selling it at the price now. Sorry if people feel like I'm teaching them to suck eggs, but as I'll, I will repeat many times, it isn't just old codgers who listen to this, this podcast. Sometimes some new people come in and they haven't thought that through. And I'm quite happy to spell out how things work for people who are new. So that's Feed Wheat. That's the story. And if you want to just have Feed Wheat for next year, next Nov X Farm 186, you could sell May 25 X Farm for 200 there or thereabouts. Sticking our neck out a ditty bit. But if you wanted 200 pound a tonne for next year, X Farm, it would be 200 pounds per tonne. Okay, feed barley, 160x for November. Don't see that going down much. Plenty of plenty of demand, not that much of it around. It isn't going to shoot to the roof. It's come closer to wheat. I don't see much downside on feed barley. I don't see much upside either. Pretty dull old stuff. Malting barley, if you've got low nitrogen distilling variety, you would make roughly 250x for November. If you're selling it for Feb, 260x. If you had 185 Planet Laureate um, to go for a boat, you'd probably get back 230 for Nav and 240 for Feb. So it's a it's a decent price, 70 pound premium to feed barley, which is brilliant. Decent prices. It's it's had a good harvest in Scotland the last week or two, so they've kind of caught up a bit, and it hasn't all been a complete write off. I still think that market has some life in it. I think there's uh, a long way to go, and although the monster is happy in between now and Christmas, I think post Christmas. There isn't enough to go around. And I also think that the UK will be sought after from an export perspective. I think a lot of tonnage has already been traded. It's an easier way to live your life shoving it on a boat. And I think that the demand will continue from the UK because it's a better quality crop than, uh, than, than the continent. 
Well, see, rape, um, look, we famously were glib about it last year. The value for November X is 350 There's £3 a month carry. We think the market's going to go up on it. Crude oil is going up quite markedly at the moment, which if you consider a, a downturn in, uh, in the economy, that's unusual. So I think OPEC holding back on production, the oil price underlyingly going up, is going to underlyingly help oil, as well as the fact there is a quite a tight supply of it. So we are bullish to old crop rape. Harvest rape next year, 355x, if anyone is going to really stick with the stuff that's being eaten to pieces by uh, the lovely little flea beetle. And just as one little aside, cocoa is trading at all-time high prices, so stock up on your cocoa, okay? Which leaves me with one final thing. We are going to have a September doing grain walk, which we haven't mentioned yet. So for those of you that are into that, I have decided that the day we're doing it is Tuesday the 27th of September in the afternoon. So it's a 2 p.m. meeting. And the place we are meeting at, by kind permission of Mr. David Kidner, who is one of our farmers, uh, we can park in his yard. And I really like this little, what, three words, because it's the, well, you know, you, you always look on roughly where you're going to go and look for the one that makes you laugh the most. So um, we are going to meet or park at Partners Perform Relief, <laughs> which is just funny. Anyway, Partners Perform Relief. Um, depending on who your partner is. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be there 2pm, Tuesday the 27th, and um, look forward to getting uh, getting back to our fitness. Okay, so with that, enjoy the talk between the, the, the guys where we get quite intense about regen farming. It is the Wild West, and I think uh, all of us kind of want to have some sort of understanding of it. And at the moment, I think we need to be careful what we listen to, what we're told, what we believe and maybe maybe we should be searching for a way to have some form of control or at very least good understanding of the subject anyway have a great week thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications, informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download. And with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at doinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for the farm chat. Okay, this week we're going to be talking about regenerative farming. It's the new buzzword that everybody wants to cling on to and pretend they know lots about. And there's a bucket load of crazy statements being made by a number of people. And so I think it's time we had a conversation. So today I have with me Josh, Ben and Webby. Hello. 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 So who wants to kick this one off? I think you should. Okay. Um... Are we all giving lip service to something which is as, mo- as much sense as electric cars? Oh. Well, my, my, my point being... Okay, right, regen. Regen agriculture. I think, what is the definition of regen? Regenerative means this not ploughing stuff up, not cultivating it, leaving the soil untouched, as few passes as possible, chuck the seed in the ground, look after the birds and the bees, don't spray it with anything, and then be surprised that the crop is not perfect. That's my regenerative farming. 
What's yours in? Um, I think the only thing in that to add was uh, capturing carbon, isn't it? That's the whole thing. It's meant to be more efficient in carbon no, capture. I, well, here's the point. So regen farming, the way I see it, is there's, there's no definitive um, definition of it. But ultimately, it's about soil health and improving soil health, mm. which is what I think not a lot of people are actually talking about. They make a lot of sweeping statements without actually measuring and looking and baselining their soil health. Okay, so soil health being the number of worms in there or the amount of carbon in there? or uh, The amount of uh, nitrogen, the amount of um, potash, the amount of carbon, the amount of earthworms ultimately, the pres- preservation of roots. Yeah. I mean, this week we had Therese Coffey at a conference say that regen agriculture doesn't work unless you've got glyphosate. That went well, she's well, been absolutely nailed on social media. Yeah, but, but that that she's she bang on. Well, we all, we all know that's accurate. But the tree tree hugging great white world from the city doesn't know that doesn't believe a word of that. She's now mad, isn't she? No, I, I think so. And there'll be a lot of these people. There's a lot of corporate responsibility for these big companies that want to be seen as being greener and healthier. And we we must admit we're all largely pro farmer over any other corporation or any other businesses. But there is going to be a way that a lot of farms and businesses can be run more efficiently. So that's undisputable. Yeah, absolutely. It's about how, how you go about that is, I think, our key so point. Is, is there more money in energy efficiency than there is in altering the way farming is done? I think energy efficiency is a massive part. Emissions, things like that. Yeah, I mean, we've got experience of, you know, let's not plough ever again is one of those issues. And... Jethro Tull invented tillage, which is evolution of farming. You know, if your plant is going to compete with weeds, it's going to lose out. So there was a need for a certain amount of that going on. And in this utopian world, because some of the statements on some adverts are basically saying, you know, you don't need any sides, pesticides, herbicides, insecticides at all, and you can don't have to plough, and you can just chuck the stuff in the ground, and it comes out growing with everything else, and you end up with perfect milling wheat... I mean, that's just absolute top. Well, that's, that's one particular person which we've seen, and is actually their social, if you have social media is anything to go by, 76,000 followers, which is probably more than most farmers out there. But they have been invited onto the podcast to discuss it, improve their statements, and as far as anyone can guess, there's no real proof of what they're saying. No, they, there's a willing audience who wants to listen to someone who says, this is how it works, and this is all magic, and buy our stuff. Yeah, there is a belief out there in the general public and the wider world that what you're being told on a certain site is correct and, oh my God, it is amazing. But, you know, there are other issues with this. But it is the whole, unfortunately, but the greenwash thing, it's, it's being led and it will be led by brands. You know, it's part of their marketing, you see it. Let's talk about the McCain's advert that's been out recently, the Spud advert. It's all about regen, isn't it? And I can see it as being a big marketing point, and the people on the street are like, oh, that looks nice. Well, you've got McCain, you've got the M&S advert. Whether it's it's really that relevant, whether it does any benefit, but it's a sales point. So there is demand. These products are selling. Certainly this this bread that M&S are pushing that is regen bread has a demand. I mean, it's, it's more expensive. Is the farmer getting a premium? Premiums are being offered for regen products, but I don't think... But the definition of regen is indefined, isn't it? It's my stuff is regen. Okay. Totally. But the point is, everything needs to be measured. 
And there's a lot of these businesses out there that, are, you know, you could spend 30 seconds and just Google regen farming. I Googled earlier, Nest, all these big companies have got this whole part on it. And then um, as well, if you look at like these other firms, these people offering carbon credits, but no one's measuring it properly and tangibly. So you've got to any farmer that's looking at it or considering it, speak to your agronomist, make sure you've got an agronomist that kind of aligns the way that you think, not the way that they're... You know, parent company or, yeah exactly their parent company or they want to go and sell some more fertilizer because brutally that is exactly what they're after a lot of the time and um yeah find find the right one but there is a huge amount look look at a lot of these consumers are looking to try and get closer to a farmer ultimately through the, the person who produced the malt or produced the, the flour to then go back to the farmer ultimately they want to know where their food's coming from so they can create a story i mean if you take totally. if you take the example i haven't seen the mccain's advert but any potato grower claiming regenerative really good for the soil claims is it's absolute tosh anyone in farming knows that you have to plow you have to mold the soil up you have to stone pick you have to spray it six billion times to have the the skin that everybody wants to, to, to actually claim that's that's like regenerative is stretching it totally i, I would suspect and i you know I look for the court case but but it, it's just by definition, there isn't a, a defined process for regenerativeness. Is it? I mean, potatoes simply don't fit in that mould. It, it's no, not regenerative. Potatoes certainly. I think from a farm point of view, they should. If you're looking at doing it, doing it, with, doing it with someone you trust, who's measuring it, doing everything properly, not just down these people who are just sugar coating everything. I mean, we've hit the nail on the head, the fact that there's so much going on in this sector, and this is somewhere that the AHDB should definitely be in and making inroads you know let's have a body that represents farmers who farmers pay money to saying okay if you want a definition of regen agriculture this is what the uk farmer can do and this is how the industry will do it and then everyone will understand and work off the same parameters at the minute there's lots of different things being thrown at the wall and as josh is saying it's a term that encompasses huge things huge areas. so, so that the, the, what hope in hell is that AHDB got against Nestle or against Cargill or against any of those massive organisations that can claim that their their system is regen and they'll tell all their all their consumers that their system is regen. Here's your regen product. Put it on your packaging, and they're just saying this is regen. They they have a lot of farmers that they do the monitor farm stuff. That's proof. If they did it on all of their monitor farms and genuinely AHDB we're talking about AHDB we're talking about yeah they could go onto all the monitor farms do trial bits and they take a field out of it production and just run it as a mini farm and they could then prove what's working what what works what doesn't. This Nestle lot is is you know it's greenwashing. Some of it, not saying Nestle specifically. Were you referring to the one? So I read one earlier in the week that this may be what we talk about. Uh, Nestle are. Um, crushing the cocoa shells aren't they do you have you heard this one they're crushing cocoa shells and um then sending it back to farm as fertilizer and i forget how much carbon that is saving but it's that and there's a lot of innovative stuff going on which is quite interesting well when i, when I does, it Denmark, work. for example right the danish are more efficient they are not compared to everyone but the average farmer is generally very efficient. So what were they? Are they on, like, rebated nitrogen? I yeah, mean, that's they're the on carbon-neutral nitrogen. And also some of them were putting hydrogenated cooking oil into their tractors. And they're not doing that because they're actually getting a payment for it. They're doing it. It's more expensive, but they know it's better for it. And they know, ultimately, by collecting all this data and all this knowledge, that they will be getting paid a premium for their product, which, which will happen in the UK. 
yeah. ultimately. There's going to be a standard in which this has to be upheld to, and farmers will have to adhere to it. But it is very, very early, isn't it? And what, what it means the next five years is going to be a thing of, you know, everyone's going to be involved with. But it will be a very different form, won't it? But let's be honest, if you're, you're a farmer looking at your field and someone comes along and says, right, if you regen that field to grow me some milling wheat, I will pay you this much per acre or a premium, it's attractive at that point. All right, boy, what do I have to do to get the regen then? What yeah, well, here's, here's a bag of seed that you'll have to buy from me. Thank you. But it, it, it also has to do... The, the point is that a lot of this stuff on this wheat for M&S is literally just looking at a wheat crop. So yeah. you're assuming it goes wheat, cover crop, wheat, cover crop. That can't be the case because that won't be good for the soil, ultimately, you'd imagine. But you need to look at... A, it needs to be a whole farm approach. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? We have a knowledge, right? We have a knowledge about you know how farming works, rotations, etc. And you've got these adverts on television that are insulting to anybody's intelligence. It's, it's kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a statement. Because you know the bread thing, where the, the flour that's being grown, where there's no sprays or anything going on, that the claims of that website is it's just... We know it doesn't work. We just know that you can't just chuck wheat into a field of randomness amongst other stuff and then harvest it without there being bucket loads of other stuff in there and then you know i mean unless they've got gravity separators and color sorters they can clean it out and maybe you end up with a base product but there's no mention of that is there it's just no it's magic wheat and it's regen a lot of these people who see farming they see it based off very industrial scale you know bare soil absolutely knackered but the point is what they're trying to do is bring back a lot of the soil health but that only will matter if it's been man if it's been measured and hardly any of these things have actually been baseline and measured. So it just doesn't really count as a whole exercise. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us are saying the same thing. I, just, I, I have a fear that it's not in the interest of the major companies for it to really be measured. Because the pretty picture that they're portraying, if actually taken in a whole farm context, might work one year but the next year it will be it will have done some damage it won't it, the carbon will be greater but but also andrew on that point you know if you suddenly said right well this is how we are demonstrating regen it means that we as dewing grain or any other company out there can then say right oh so that's how the system works we can offer that to our farmers and they can become regen and there's an interest not to do that because if you can keep it a little bit muddy and a bit sort of, well, you know, then you can control it, can't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to control it? Earlier today, I was on a call about this with quite a few people, and there was one of the biggest brewers in the world, undoubtedly, certainly one of the biggest in Europe, and they looked at their carbon emissions um, pretty much per litre of beer that was sold. And as things stand right now, 19% of it comes from agriculture. So that's the second highest. The highest is actually packaging materials. And after that is logistics, beverage production, cooling and raw materials processing. The base product is made from an agricultural product. I agree. But what they're, what they're going to look at is they're going to look at reducing that from 19%. Yeah. And the way to do that is to reduce your ammonium nitrate. That's the real terrible thing. But the reality of that particular product is mankind invented it and we ended up feeding 8 billion people if we took AN away 
max you'd feed is about six billion. Yes, but that's not the point. Is that if you there's going to be a, a cleaner way of producing it for a start, which will reduce that. But that's only a sugar rush. If you think about yeah. it, it's like having it switching from Coke to Diet Coke. You're still drinking crap. You know, you're not saying that the nitrate's not so good, but the point is there's going to be ways within farming that is going to be more efficient, undoubtedly. Okay, well let's let's just take the argument about a receptive audience listening to a story they want to hear. So they see a lovely advert for well, whoever it is saying that they've got this regen product and all the bees are happy and everyone's great and caring and all the rest of it. And then you look at government policy and you look at things like lettuce production where, where uh, extraction licences for water in, in Broadland area has been taken away from people um, you know, because there might be a problem with, with uh, water levels, uh, subsoil. And we outsource our lettuce growing to North Africa where it's a much more acute water problem where they've got a much more fragile system and they'll probably run out of water at some point shortly, in which case they might come back to the UK and we might end up, end up growing it again. But the point being that the general public spend their time pointing a finger at a farmer, going, it's his fault, he grows, used, look how much, they've got cows, they've got ammonium nitrate, they are the worst people on the planet. It's always the car manufacturer's fault, the farmer's fault, the airline manufacturer's fault, it is somebody else's fault. It is never, ever, ever the consumer. And if you consider 30% of all food in the Western world is thrown away, the biggest energy saving you could possibly have is immediately in everybody's household. But the consumer who is going to vote for the next government is not going to be told the truth on that. They're not going to say, look, you're a bunch of idiots and you actually chuck most of your food away. You're really inefficient. That's ruining the planet. It's all your fault. You know, it, no, it's not. It's the farmer. I, I totally agree. Hydrogen. I think a lot of these companies that are doing claiming this stuff on the TV will be go down in history and be looked at in 10 years' time as the same sort of people that missed our PPI. Yeah, well, then they'll turn around and say, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, they'll go, oops, sorry about that. You know, I, I, I used to sell tobacco, but now I sell vapes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I was wrong on that one. Oh, I'm sorry, I used to sell tobacco, then I used to sell vapes. Now I sell something else, which is much nicer. Yeah, but fundamentally, if you're a farmer, offered more money for a product by sowing a few more plants in your wheat, are you going to take it? Probably, aren't you? If someone big says, the, here is a product, we'll pay you a premium for growing it with us, and if you tick this box, this box, this box, which isn't really that much different to what you're already doing, and we'll give you an extra 10, of course they're going to do it. Mm. But is the firm that's offering that particular deal doing the planet any good? Probably not. Are they just gaining market share? Probably. This is a commercial lip service Bullshit. Probably, but they're probably doing more good than they are just spraying everything off every five minutes, trying to push some new spray they've got. If they're willing to push some new plant and increase diversity, biodiversity in a field, then because a farmer... If you they all, are. If they are. If they are. That's the point. It has to be measured. It has to be managed. They have to measure it. If they're not measuring it, it doesn't count. No, but if, if someone says, right, uh, this, if you do this to our protocol, and it hasn't particularly got anything different going on, and no one's measuring it except them, but they say, no, they've followed our protocol, therefore it is regen, and the miller buys into that concept, it's a con. It's a con, 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 all the way through the thing, and the farmer gets an extra tenner, great, and they're really happy. But the planet is not going to be saved. That's my point. Everyone wants to hear that it's regen, and no one wants to actually believe. So your point of measuring is absolutely true, but it's never going to be measured, is it? Yeah, well, it has to be, it'll have to be measured to be part of it. But then I agree with what you're saying about the planet and stuff, but again, farms are a business, aren't they? And if they're going to get paid an extra 
20, 30, 40, 60 pounds a ton, totally. they're going to do it. And they of should do it as well. By so, the way. No, no, so they should. We, we want them to have that money. But what we want is if we're going to get into really saving the world, we have to really save the world, don't we? We don't have to pretend we are. We have to really do it. That's my point. Yeah. But this is, as Josh is saying, this is a step in the right direction. I think where it needs to be sorted out is it just needs to have a bit, maybe a bit more regulation or maybe a bit more, yeah, this is the standard of how regen works. Yeah, there has to be science behind it, as much as all of us in this office love science. So with, with, with regen, so in my head it's, it means smaller yields. We've talked about that, you know, it's harder to grow a crop and get a yield, which means more scarcity, means higher prices, you know, less food security, importing. It does mean a higher price to the consumer, doesn't it? They will be the ones. Yeah, I think paying. I think small yields not necessarily true. I think the point is they're aiming for high. They're aiming for the same yields with less inputs. Is is the point? And yeah, I, I'm not saying that's right and wrong. Well, I mean, we we know a good example where the yields they reduce a lot of the sides as they go, and the yields were awful. Is this for their MS thing? No. No, it's a trial. I'm not obviously publicly talk about okay. it, but but yeah, I know of an example, and it was a trial, and it was it was a bit of a horror. Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean, but again, when I went over to Denmark, they were planting, um, say, clover in between their spring barley, which means they could reduce their nitrogen usage and get a similar yield. Yeah, but there's also there's more. We've got people that we work with who are who are doing a lot of work on this subject, and their observation is. There's more to be done in absolute data observation about, you know, the depth of the cultivator can reduce your fuel usage when you're cultivating a field to the tune of, you know, I don't know, 5% or something. And all of those 5%, you really nail the detail about how much fuel you're using, about which bits of the field you're actually farming, cutting out those bits that are wet or scoots or, you know, those efficiencies really need a very very fine examination and you will you will actually save a very large amount of energy and reduce your carbon footprint massively if you focused on that ahead of everything else exactly but that's the point is those these emissions data are coming within three or four years farmers will be having to do it like a bit like how task started people are you know a load of load of whatever but now everyone has to do it and they will be having to do the same with their emissions they'll be measuring what percentage of or you know how much nitrogen they're putting on what how much their tractor use how much their combine uses how much all of these things will be measured mm. and i'm not saying that you have to reduce them but they will all they will come into a footprint against your farm without shadow of a doubt is all that being measured in denmark is that i don't know but i know that so was something that we're getting involved with or have been involved with for a little while that's being started to be measured and it's going to come through mm. farmers will have to put in their data mm. and the point is what you need to do from a anyone who's setting these things up has to make it really simple and straightforward for a farm because apparently the, the original ones were like two or three hours long which no one's going to sit through i mean not anyone with any credibility or with no, but you, time. you've got to have your data collected. I mean, you, you, your tractor automatically has it and passes it to the, the. So you've got access to your own data, haven't you? You need to be capable of data collection in on your computer on your farm and be able. Well, I to think a lot of them have it on their gatekeeper and things like that. By all accounts, I mean we're none of us are farmers, so we don't necessarily know. But I just it's it's going to be something that, that is coming. There's lots who can't do it. So is there an opening for people to help people who can't? Yeah, I believe so. I really do. Because that's ideally where we could probably help, or someone like us could help slightly, where 
you know you know your local merchant you're pretty straightforward or even your local agronomist who can help you know you know they're not going to go and give your information away to you know one of the big massive firms like a nestle or a coca-cola or a whoever for someone free. that you trust for free yeah, or for probably a fee well that's, well that's that's the other thing the thing that i fear for farmers is the information that they actually let slip or they sign up to something where they are letting a lot of their carbon value go to a particular product and they've signed it away without knowing they've signed it away? Yeah, that's it. So I think there's actually, this is interesting, because you know like lots of these farmers that are considered um, sort of pioneers on this, mm-hmm. they've actually signed up to these other firms and there's one locally that we know about and they've probably shot their bolt you know, a bit early because actually the best thing to do, which most farmers have done, is hold back. But it's definitely becoming a space where it's becoming more interesting, without doubt. Yeah, I mean, they're not hopefully not signed up forever, are they? It's just no, but they're 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 also they've become a bit of a poster boy for this company. Yeah. And but the trouble is that once you've done that, you're inputting this data into an AI machine, which is what they are doing. And who really owns it? You don't yeah. know. The point well, is that it needs to be encouraged that a grower owns it himself. And what is the de- definitive measurement of carbon benefit? Is it all being declared back to the farmer? Is it all being paid well, back? Well, exactly. The and who, but who owns that data yeah, is, and, the, is the point. Yeah, who owns the information? And what is the value of that carbon? That's well, the other thing. Yeah. So one company will say one thing, another one will value it much higher. I think if that. you keep the carbon out of it, as a, I think that should be kept separate as a separate subject. But as for the moment, what these guys are doing, they're farming very efficiently and they're farming very well, but they're inputting, they're giving away all of their information to a company that is ultimately, they're a big firm. You know, you can all you have to see is go in their company's house and see what they're worth. They're, they're not interested in what the farm's necessarily doing. They're just trying to prove their system works and probably pump it off to somebody else, is my guess. Yeah, so I think, I mean, regenerative agriculture is, you know, I mean, I think ultimately it will happen. Something like this will have to happen, as Josh is saying. But I think from our side, it is, you know, do you have the big company pushing it down, saying, right, go and get me a load of regen wheat or regen malting barley and then we'll pay this money and then that's that done. You know, there you go, it's done. And then is no one then saying, well, hang on a minute, how is this regen? What are the, what are the measurements? What are the stats? And I think there needs to be, as we have said, certainly either AHDB or AIC, you need to have some kind of involvement to say, hang on a minute, this is getting a bit like the Wild West. There's lots of different systems out there for regen, lots of different measurements. Lots of different statements, which are nuts. Lots of different statements. How can we bring this in line? A bit like... a bit but, like. Well, the bit I was going to get to is we have an organic book, don't we? The, the yeah. organic audit. I mean, it's pretty brutal, but you could then have... A regen audit. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of costs. There is well, a, we know the organic audit costs a lot of money for us as a business, and farms do as well. But, but that's know. a good point, Webby. There you go. You have an organic standard, and there's the organic standard, and there are... But you can pick from two or three bodies to do that audit, right, in the UK. So there are three different companies there who all work to the same standard. We could have this, you could have the same thing with regen. Effectively, it would be an intermediary kind of organic. It's midway between conventional and organic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily see that as being the way, though, because it's still going because the plough is. But the, then, but then it is the Wild West, as Ben says. Yeah, like, there's no, there's where's no, the regulation? Yeah. I think some of the stuff that you see on the M and S packaging 
is does seem a bit out there. Farmer can almost do what they usually do and just brand it. It's like, oh, this is regen. Yeah, right. well, you look like you have a really dirty field. Oh, that's just my regen field. <laughs> we therefore can't say that it isn't regen. We, what we're saying is that just because someone writes it on there doesn't necessarily mean that it is. It's just mean there's no one can challenge it. There's no proof. There's no standard, and therefore they can just say. You know, we, we, I might as well call Doing Grain a complete regen com- company. In, in today's society, any field can identify as it likes, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being called Ian. Thank you, Ian. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, but, you know, do we have regen futures wheat? Is that, you know, do, we, do you end up going down a route like that or... Well, that's a very good point. You know, you could... I mean, the futures contract can't just introduce that. Uh, two or three years down the line, you've got contracts trading ahead, so you can't do that initially, but somewhere down the line, an individual firm could make all of their farmers or encourage all of their farmers to be down the regen route, and therefore, when it gets to futures being tendered from their stores, they can say, well, this is all regen. Unless someone doesn't want to pay a premium, then you've got to find someone who isn't regen, shove one 15-ton load in there and say, sorry, it's not anymore, and undermine them. <laughs> I mean, we obviously we have to be, you know, we don't want this to sound like sour grapes, because at the minute we don't have loads of consumers knocking down our doors saying, right, go and pay your farmers this premium to give us regen. Yeah, but we do have, we've been doing something for a year hey. or two, which we can probably come out with now a bit, which is working towards this and giving us a hell of a lot more knowledge than we would have done otherwise. It's now to be two years in November that we've been doing this for. Yeah, it's, a, it's an experiment that is proving not as straightforward as we'd all like. That's why no. probably we've got a bit... Well, no. it's, it's interesting because it started off as looking at a single crop. Actually, the, the, we got to a point now where it has to look at a whole farm process. And there's a big firm that I was on who's trading in the UK. They're an American firm, and it's not the biggest one in the country, who have been doing this since 2012. And they are sending a lot of their reps in the States on a regen farming course, whatever the hell that means. And that means they probably will be doing it in the UK as well. They've been offering a contract for some rapeseed, haven't they? Yeah, which is declared to be regen, which is yeah. fine. But the, point, that... the, the other point is that, let's say, let's say in a real perfect world, regen does work and it does improve soil health. It does sequate carbon. And it does these things. It does these many things. The point is, we need to fight as merchants for the farmer, not for the big corporations, because they're the ones who, who do the work, who should get the most money out of it, yeah. not these big because farms. Because the one thing that is going to get carbon, that is going to preserve the planet, is the physical is, person is who the works the farmer, yeah. But so, the, no, I agree. That's, the, that is, we're back to that point. That's exactly my point. It needs to, we need to make sure it stays literally in the ground, yeah. our customer base. To- no, totally. That's, 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 I think that's probably where a lot of our frustration comes from because you can see a lot of these, the suits who, who do all these jobs, they're great. You know, they're very clean and very polished, but that you can see where it's going and it's not going to the farmer. £10 or £50 a hectare for this certain crop they're talking about is bugger all, but how much they're probably claiming the other side is going to be probably hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, which comes back to that's because the general public want to hear the story. And if they're the people telling the story and it's their version of the story and it's only in their corporate language, then everyone's going to believe them if they pump the most money at it, which is why AHDB is going to be relatively small compared to those monster companies. Who believes the man who pays the most money gets his mate elected to prime minister is the way it works, sort of. And it's so you get what you want if you bung lots of money at it. And these, these are the guys with the cash. So I'm, I'm con- very concerned about it. And the dynamic 
of regenerative farming is it's one thing to have a, a protocol of things to do just sometimes and we've had it proven this year by someone trying to follow very closely to the lines the product they produced was absolutely awful because they were unable to break from what they were being told to do and consequently the product was refused for the actual contract. Now, who holds the baby then? Sorry, it's not good enough. Well, that is another point, isn't it? There's a, someone we know who's gone down this completely mint-till and you know, growing how these guys would like to and the nitrogen content on the barley was 1.97 in a year where the average was, what, 1.5 maybe in our stores? 1.6? Yeah, there's, so there's, it's considerably there's, higher. There's a there's a few, you know, who've who've also been in a similar experiment. Who the quality of it was? They did one field of one and one field of another, and there was a variance within that. And you know, not least, you have to consider. I mean, d- different weather patterns can suit a certain style of farming. Every now and again, you you have to plow. You have to turn stuff over to give your plant half a chance of competing, and that's not in the tick box is it no i think that's yeah i think cultivation is always going to be part of it because it's been around for so long it's naive for someone any business to come through and if, if anyone wants to go to a way farm and sell them how to farm you're only going to get told to bugger off but there's a, very, there's a very large i think dutch beer making firm who's insisting on having a cover crop before any of their barley is planted and which is completely fine except with spring barley it doesn't work if you've got no time slot between sugar beet and the spring barley crop then it's utterly nuts putting that stuff in there because the the lignin in the plant doesn't you know the stuff you're plowing in or or drilling into doesn't break down at the right time and ruins the nitrogen value of the barley that follows but they've decreed that you have to have a cover crop because that's regen farming well i think they're actually piggybacking off the back of another firm another big dutch firm who do it properly but um you're right it definitely wouldn't work in norfolk but that's why it needs to be a whole farm approach yeah it can't just be spring barley approach did you hear Josh say I was right? Just put that in the, <laughs> put that in the diary. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, this whole regen debate and what we're discussing here, I think this is going to carry on for a long time. And I think, you know, anyone who wants to contact us and join in this debate, I think we, we'd welcome it because there's so much going on within regenerative agriculture. There needs to be a good discussion about this and it needs to not be done behind the scenes. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to contact us, yeah, it'd be great to have someone on here, wouldn't it, really, to properly yeah. discuss it. Interesting subject. Yeah, because we're not, well, I'm, I'm certainly not against it. I am not against regenerative. I think it be. is, I think it is a good thing. Yeah. And it, and it will be a good thing. But as Josh is saying, it has to be done in a way that you can measure it and understand how much benefit you're giving back. Yeah. And if that benefit is immense, then happy days you know i think we'd all be a lot happier about that yeah great yeah ben and webby agreeing josh saying i'm right i think at that point i mean it's been a good very healthy grown-up discussion for a change guys i hope this provokes some response i hope you guys come back as ben has said we'd, we'd welcome it we don't know the direction what happens next we've got our ideas and we're trying to be involved with it but any ideas or anyone who wishes to come on and talk about this subject you're more than welcome so with that i think uh, thanks for this week's chat guys thank you very much thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released and follow us on twitter and instagram we are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. 
The Doing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio, a full-service creative agency specializing in websites, digital marketing, and branding. Get in touch to inquire with their friendly team on info at eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. Thank you.